Welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Welcome to another episode of Barnyard Language. Thank you for joining us here on the podcast again today. We're excited that you're here. Katie, what's happening on the farm these days? It snowed this morning. I mean, for like 10 seconds, it melted before it hit the ground, but there was definite solid precipitation. And today is... October 13th. So I'm a little concerned. I have heard that the old farmer's almanac says that it's going to be a long, long cold winter. So we'll see. It would kind of be nice to get more snow than we have the last few years, although we could do without the, what's it called? Like the Alberta Clipper. Is that what it is? Where it gets... Sure. It's a Canadian thing, obviously. Canada's really big. Yeah, I, I heard that somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, we had it a couple of years ago where it's like basically an inversion of the jet stream, I guess, where like we get a polar vortex or some bullshit like that, where it's like 40 below okay, for yeah, weeks we on got end. A polar vortex thing. Yeah. yeah. I two thumbs down. Like I like winter, but that's too much even for me. So I feel like with climate change, they're coming up with a lot of new weather terms that we never heard before. Yeah. So other than that, not a lot. Time yet? Or still, still waiting? Some of the neighbors are out harvesting. We pick a lot of our corn, so we're not out yet. We're waiting for it to dry more. And honestly, we don't crop that many acres, but we also use small equipment. So it still takes a while, but we're not running, you know. 3,000 acres or anything where it will really take like six or eight weeks even just to get through it. Um, sure. So we haven't really started yet. But the boy child's been very excited. There's been a lot of combines driving by. So there's that. Trying to hitch a ride someday. He might. I heard him pretending to farm with the neighbors the other day. Jim took them down and was... They, uh, the girl child went and helped milk cows with the neighbor, which she was very excited about. She managed to clean, I think, just one quarter. That was all she could reach. But she came home reeking of dairy sanitizer and very proud of herself. So, uh, but yes, I heard the boy child the next morning talking to, to Tom and Jenny, our neighbors, while he was farming with his tractors. So he was having a good time. Cute. Other than that, not a whole heck of a lot, which is good. I need to get on making some Halloween costumes. I don't know. Your kids are still young enough to trick or treat, right? Some of them at least. But yeah, I we're we're in negotiations. Number three isn't sure yet. And he has an idea for a costume, whether he wears a trick-or-treating or just school, I'm not sure. But we're also getting to the age where he tells me what he wants to be and I have to Google what it is. So I am still not exactly sure what his vision is for, for this year. But yes, the youngest is definitely. At seven, still in full trick-or-treating mode. We have been talking about costumes for months already at this point. So I think he asked just about every day how many days till Halloween. Yeah. The the girl child I need to get on Amazon today and order. I was, you know, 
trying to talk myself out of being that mom that makes everybody's costumes from scratch because she wants to be a mermaid, but with wings and a unicorn horn. And I quote, just in case. I'm not sure what sort of emergency she's foreseeing, but you know. Are the wings just in case or the horn or both? I I don't know. So she wants to be a unicorn and mermaid princess. Anything. Yeah. But Fairy. the boy child wants to be a silage chopper and, you know, a corn chopper, which... They don't sell those on Amazon? Well, no, they don't. Actually, I tried that. I mean, I can I can build him a chopper costume, but I don't know how he's going to wear it to school. And I'm not sure what's going to happen when I explain that he can wear it trick-or-treating, but he can't wear it to school because I don't... I am quite sure that even I cannot construct something that is four-year-old proof for a whole day of school and trick-or-treating. So we'll see how that goes. Now, I know at our school, often they start the day with like a costume parade and then we'll take the costumes off. So, I mean, you could check and see what the the actual schedule of events is because maybe they they don't need a full day's worth. Yeah. I feel like maybe I'll pull some of the other parents too because I feel like last year there were a lot of kids in like cheap Walmart costumes for the school day. And then they busted out their like real costumes for trick-or-treating. So sure, yeah. we'll see. Also, if any of our listeners have any advice or thoughts on how to make a chopper costume, that would be great if you could let me know about that. Arlene, how are things at your place? Things are good. So we went through Thanksgiving weekend, ate lots, got to see lots of family, which was nice. Uh, foliage is frigging majestic out there we have our laneway is all maple trees and many generations of people have planted and maintained the trees along our driveway and this is the perfect time to just go out there and admire it every day and how it changes so i'm loving that you, you know, should post some pictures your... i, know I you will sent me one and it was freaking majestic you're not wrong yes exactly so all the foliage, which makes me feel like I'm in my 40s, but I am. So that's just the reality of where we are right now. I noticed myself the and other day thinking, this foliage is majestic because in Northeast Iowa, we actually have trees. So that is a thing. And I thought, we should go for a drive this weekend and look at trees. And then I thought, fuck, I'm really old because like that's such an old people thing. But also it sounds super yeah. fun to like look at trees and eat apple cider donuts. So I might just lean into Why it. Why not? Why not? Exactly. You like what you like, right? Yeah. And what else is going on? Swimming lessons have started for the youngest. So we added that into the weekly schedule. And number three is doing a coding class. So, or club kind of thing. Anyway, so it's in a city about an hour away because that was the closest we could find programming that fits his need and then swimming lessons is on the same day about 40 minutes in the opposite direction so Saturday mornings are now quality family time where we divide and conquer and decide who wants to go which kid with which kid and what they want to do so that's fun times and it's another week at another cow show and it is Thursday when we're recording and it's rainy and miserable. And I have agreed that I would go to this cow show. I don't have to help. I'm just going to watch. And now I'm reconsidering that decision. So stay tuned. I'm not sure if I'm going to go or not. Just have to wait and see if the the couch and some housework are calling my name instead. 
I think they might be. They I mean, might. We'll just have to wait and be. see. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's welcome our guest for this week. Today, we're talking to Shauna Terrell from Ohio, where she has a backyard homestead and operates the Feathered Farm Stand. So Shauna, we start each of our interviews with the same question, and this is a way to introduce yourself to our listeners. So we ask, what are you growing? And that can cover crops and livestock and kids and businesses and anything else you want to talk about. So what are you growing? Hey, at this point, it's like a big mixed bag of everything. So just wrapped up the raised garden beds. So I've just still got some herbs in there, you know, some rosemary and sage and things like that. I pulled out everything else. We've got chickens. We've got 20 chickens and we have five dogs. I have five kids. I guess I probably should have mentioned that first too. The order doesn't matter. (laughs) They all get the same amount of attention, which is whoever's like hair's not on fire. Yeah. You know, needs the help. So but there's there's a lot going on in the household right now. But the main thing that I, I feel like I'm growing really well is my business. So the feathered farm stand has just been just really taken off this last year. And it's a really allowed me to, you know, show my passion for gardening and chicken keeping and and creating food. So yeah, that's it. So is your farm stand just your produce or are you selling things for other people as well or what is your business model for the for the farm stand itself i try to have 90 percent of the product that i've created myself so whether i'm doing a luxury bath salt at that time you know to kind of tie in it'll be dried lemon peels that i've dehydrated myself basil straight from my garden you know and i'll find ways to mix those together i also have produce but it's really seasonal it really depends on just what is my bumper crop because my first no priority is to feed the family i've done some cut flowers before so you know cruise and flowers and added those in but then i also like to connect with other local vendors this last month i had the chance to work with a really great concrete artist who made some beautiful rustic candle holders for my farm stand customers and just you know be able to feature someone else in a way and, and you know give some variety so it's it's a little bit of a little bit of both, but mainly ninety percent is my my items. Sure, yeah, and it's neat to be able to connect with other people who maybe don't have a venue to sell their product, but are you know being creative and looking for outlets to to sell their stuff too. So I you said you had a bunch of dogs. I think we're we're both dog people. I think we need some more detail on the types and what's going on in the dog situation. Then we'll ask about the kids. I also need to know what breed of chickens we're talking about. Like, let's let's prioritize here and talk about dogs and chickens before we talk about children, because that's... (laughs) I'll run down the dogs first. So indoors, we have two AKC French Bulldogs. I have started dabbling just a little bit in the breeding side on that, but really, we just love them as our companion dogs. But our dogs, Rory and Rosie... Rory has a really great family-friendly personality, and we did breed hoping that we would have a litter of puppies that, you know, had that that same type of personality. But we wanted to keep a female, 
And we ended up with a litter of eight males because that's the way it goes. <laughs> so <laughs> we do have French bulldogs in the house. And then my husband, he is into competitive squirrel dog hunting and raccoon hunting with the USD. So United Sporting Dogs Association, I think is what their official title is. But we've got walker hounds and mountain curs, and those are all outdoor kennel. And he gets really into the breeding side of those training. And then, you know, once season comes in, he does a lot of competitions on the weekends. So those are our dogs. Chicken I don't even know that squirrel dogs or squirrel hunting was a thing. <laughs> so well, this is news to me. I'm going to tell you this. If you thought chicken people were crazy, like squirrel dog hunting, <laughs> that is a whole like you can easily fall down a rabbit hole uh, once you get started and, you know, talking and, and, and listening to stories. And they are so into like the lineage. So they'll name dogs that were 25 years ago and count every dog down the line and who won this. And, and it's it can get pretty intense. So I do just a little bit of marketing for him because they do campaign the dogs pretty well when they're going to competitions. But mostly those that's his thing. Oh, and of course, help, you know, care for him and all that. But we could have if he's breeding and there's puppies sometimes in the summer, we could have 13 dogs out there. So it it ebbs and flows. But right now we just have three. Is, is three I'm mates. guessing that those dogs have a lot of energy if that's what they're being yeah. bred for, right? It's for sport. Yeah. So yeah. what I'm what I'm wondering here, Sean, is we have a neighbor who has spent his lifetime raising and training coon dogs. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering what your neighbors think about what I imagine a noise from 13 hunting dogs might be like. So I give out lots of eggs. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. Everybody can flop the free egg. I always send my girls over too with muffins because who's going to get mad at the girls that way? But we, they're the ones that we keep mostly are pretty well trained. If there's a squirrel, we don't really have that issue with the squirrels running through the yard anymore. But every once in a while, I mean, we've had dogs get out and they'll run, you know, two, three miles and they're treed in somebody's yard and they all have name tags. People just call us. We're we're really blessed in the community that they know who we are, you know, what we're doing, that kind of thing. So even though we're more of a suburban setting, when they get going, my husband just goes out there and, you know, he kind of sprays them down, quiets them down. We do some calming things with them too. But as long as we don't have crazy squirrels running through, we're all right. But my next Hopefully door at this point, the squirrels know that's the that's the yard. That's the yard. Yeah. But I was just getting ready to say my neighbor next door did actually cut down one of their backyard trees because it was a day tree. <laughs> and they didn't say that that was why they did it. But I'm pretty sure it <laughs> And we we're very lucky that we've got some great public land near us. So my husband does, you know, a lot of taking them out, you know, making sure that they're fully exercised that way. If we have a loud hound, most of the time he has a couple of buddies, you know, guys that he partners with. You know, we've had to trade out dogs before too that, you know, they were just too loud for our our setting. So, yeah, it, it really... 
like I said, our neighbors get lots of free eggs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I suppose in town, there's a lot more pressure to, to work, to keep your dogs quiet. Cause out here there's between the coyotes and all the different farm dogs around, there's a lot of nights that it sounds like that seen in the original 101 Dalmatians, you know, where yeah. they're just all over the place getting going. Cause it's, you know, oh. the coyotes start and then the dogs start and then all hell breaks loose. Just whatever. Yeah. We're anyway, we're lucky enough that we sit on about an acre and we're on that agriculture side of town. So it's like, our street is one of the last streets before you really start hitting the country setting. And then we back up to a small family farm that I think is like 20 acres. So our it seems larger than what it actually is. So we don't have backyard neighbors just on both sides. Yeah. Oh, and what breed of chickens do you have? Before we start talking about the kids. I've got, we've got 20 chickens and I breed for egg color. I'm after that perfect rainbow bass. So I've got some hatchery birds, some true white and greens, some prairie bluebells. I've, you know, some barnyard mixes. I received a silky from one of the elementary schools last year, their special need class hatched chicks as their science project so i'm i'm honored to be able to raise them and continue to take pictures and send them to the classroom but it, it's really a little bit of everything i've got some high production birds some um, you know golden comets and buckeyes but right now i'm looking for that dark maroon so i'm hoping to pick up a couple of french copper moran here soon but yeah, just a, a really good mix of color and egg color and, and feather color. And the kids. Oh. Well, we finally got around to them. What ages and stages are you looking the, after these days? I, I'm sure you'll hear the smile in my voice. I could talk about my kids forever. I'm so ridiculously proud to be their mom. But this is a second marriage for both my husband and I. So we have his, mine, and ours. I've got three stepchildren so daughter 23 son stepson 21 and a 16 year old stepson so the older two are out of the house but you know still we just had the wedding so you know still very involved in their lives and then my 16 year old stepson does every other weekend with us my daughter for my previous marriage is 10 he's with us full time and then we had a surprise baby Libby shortly after we got married and she's now four. So we are really at all stages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a good spread of, of everything. Yes. Yes. And, you know, being a stepmom and having, you know, a younger child, I really had to learn on the fly. I would kind of joke with, you know, my stepchildren like, you guys have been kids longer than I've been a mom. Like I need to be graded on a curve a little bit, but Mark and I have been married five years now, and I do, I feel like I finally hit my stride with it, even though it's still crazy chaotic with all of the, you know, projects that we have going on and working. Being a mom is, is literally my favorite job, my very, very favorite job. That's a good one. Do you also have an off homestead away from the, the house job or sometimes yeah. in the house as, <laughs> as things are these days? Yes. So that 
this is really why I've been able to do the urban homesteading is since the pandemic, we have gone to a two day in the office, three day at home work. So it provides me with that flexibility. But I do, I work in HR employee benefits for labor unions. We're a very proud union family too. I handle health and welfare benefits, pensions, annuity plans. I'm the woman that you call when you have a life event and need to update your beneficiaries and getting ready to retire, have a baby. So that's that's very rewarding to me, too. And I've been lucky enough to be within the same group for since 2007. So they're really, you know, pretty much family to me as well. And so has your your company then will continue to allow that work from home, work in the office combo that was? Yeah. As far as you know? As far as I know, they will. As the farm stand grows, I know maybe within the next, you know, 12 months, 24 months, I'm probably going to have to make a decision about where my priority lies. But right now, because of the flexibility, I'm able to do I'm both. Some days not very well, but you know, I, I do get by. But for right now, yes, we're we're for the foreseeable future, as they like to call it, we will be on this hybrid plan. Sure. And is the farm stand located at your home or at a separate location or is it movable? What is it, what does that look like? So my husband built me a farm, a full stand with, you know, wagon wheels and I pull it out on the weekends and have people come in. I take special orders. So people will just message me, put in an order. I let them know what's available via Facebook and, you know, they'll come and pick it up on the weekends. I do egg delivery on Sunday. So I worked it out where I've got 10 dedicated families that I provide eggs for. And I have worked it out where on Sundays I go and I pick up my Instacart order. So I just deliver the eggs on the way and then get my order and then come home. And so that works out really well, too. And it's really cut down on, I've got too many eggs. What do I do? I'm trying to push them. How do I market? Especially because I don't have a brick and mortar building for people to be able to come to. That's really provided a lot of consistency. And then it's grown word of mouth as far as like, that's my egg lady, you know, she's great, you know, that kind of thing. So we've gotten away from that personal touch, I think a lot in retail and especially in food service. And so I, I enjoy that part of it too. It's allowed me to get to know my customers very well and, you know, be able to put in an extra bag of, you know, gummy worms or something for their kids or whatever. So I, I try to do little things like that. That was one of the reasons why I really got into growing and gardening. When I started off with like getting into real food and just eating Whole30, things like that. So I started paying attention to our food sources, right? And then as I started going to these farmers markets, I would talk to people and the passion that they had in their tone and the pride that they had when they talked about their food and that they grew it and they were so excited to be able to offer it to people. I just thought that that was like mind blowing. You know, the difference between just going to your grocery store and you can barely find somebody to help you get what you need and to have someone stand in there like having a conversation with you and you know, they know everything from 
what's going on to their soil, you know, to, to when it was picked, you know, it, that's just, that's a special connection that I really appreciate. I'm sorry, I kind of went off on a tangent. <laughs> yeah, well, I, sorry, I know as someone who's done a fair amount of direct marketing too, that people assume it's the farming that's the the work part. And at least for us, the the farming was kind of the least of it. It's the, the marketing and the dealing with customers and random orders coming in all hours of the day. And that, that was really the the work aspect of it. So I think you do have to really have a passion for it to to make it sustainable so you were actually one of the first people on the list of folks to have on the podcast and then I lost a paper that had the list of people to have on the podcast because I know we have at least one friend in common so one of one of the real aims of the podcast is to chip away at what makes a a real farmer because it seems like there's such a a line around what makes a, a real farmer. And I'm wondering what that looks like for you about, you know, how you define yourself in your business. I mean, you're feeding your family, yeah. you're selling stuff. To me, that is a real farmer. Oh. Yeah. But it's yeah. it's interesting to me how defensive people get about yeah. what's a real farmer. So thank you for mentioning that because, and I dearly love her. She's, she's one of my favorite people in the community, but we've had lots of conversations about, you know, that same topic. When I first started with the homesteading and everything, you know, I'd jump on Instagram and I would look at all these accounts and I was constantly comparing myself and I felt like for six months I had to do X, Y, and Z to be a farmer you know, or it had to look like X, Y, and Z Instagram account to be considered a farmer, you know? So I I actually shut down my Instagram for a while and I really just went back to what makes me happy. What does this really look like? And what can I handle, you know, with kids in a full-time job and, and doing other things? So to me, a farmer is anyone who grows something and whether or not it's for their family or for someone else. But to me, it doesn't matter if your plot of land is the size of your dining room table or 25 acres, like it's uh, you know, 20, you know, 200 acres. If you can say, I put this seed in the ground, I nutrited it. I, you know, I, I took it out. I prepared it. To me, that's that's farming. So it, I've changed in the last, you know, four or five years as far as what I've been able to do. We have a pretty decent sized, what, I, what was it last year? Probably 60 by 60, you know, in-ground traditional garden that I would use for my farm stand customers. And then this year I actually tried to do a kitchen garden, just something kind of for the family that I'd be able to, you know, go out and have my tomatoes and, and my herbs and eggplant, you know, that that kind of thing and be able to create meals from from just that. I think I romanticized it a lot more than I probably should have because the difference between growing in a traditional garden and container 
gardening for me, I, I needed to do more research. I needed to put more work in. One of the things I, I didn't even really think of was a water source for the container gardening that you have to, you know, provide so much more water that way. And we had, as you know, awful weather this last season. Spring was really cold for us. It took forever to get to summer. And then we had lots of stretches, you know, nine, 10 days, 12 days with no rain. So those are things that I need to take into account if I'm going to have, you know, this beautiful kitchen garden with these arches and trellises. And, you know, I'm out there with my basket over my arm and I'm snipping, you know, this, that and the other. Wearing a beautiful apron while exactly. you're <laughs> wearing it for a sorry. You know, I, I think I do. I, I think that. But next year, I, 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 I failed this year. I know the things that I need to improve on, number one, if I, if I want to be more successful next year. So over the winter, I'll spend some time definitely trying to plan out a better source of water for, for continuous watering for that. And I think that that's an important part of farming as well. You know, you have so much that is out of control with the elements and, you know, everything else that's going on that you have to be able to adjust and, you know, recognize that you're you're not going to be able to control every single thing. And it's an experience in itself. And to me, once you're able to recognize it and grow from that, that adds to the I am a farmer, you know, title too. And there's so many women, I should say, just so many families out there that I feel jumped in, especially during the pandemic with, you know, victory gardens and chickens and, you know, we're going to go back to this way of life. And they did too much. And then they became resentful. You know, gardening is hard work. Farming is hard work. The first time you get overwhelmed with weeds and you want to just walk away from it because you're like, you know, th this wasn't what I signed up for. I thought I was just going to have tomatoes on the vine. <laughs> you know, it's, it is. It's a lot of work. And so I, I think that learning from those mistakes really adds to, you know, adds to that attitude of being able to own. I am a farmer. I am a gardener, you know, what, whatever title you want to use. Well, Shauna, I'll tell you that I'm, I'm pretty notorious for having post-it notes stuck to everything. My quote unquote real job is real big on the growth mindset. And the one there's only one stuck to my computer right now, but it says failing means you're trying. Because yes. that's, if you're not trying, you're never going to fail. You know, if yeah. you are trying, you probably are going to fail. And yeah, I think social media lends a lot of people to assume that it's super easy for everyone else. And then they <laughs> get discouraged because we're seeing a filtered, edited, curated version of what yeah. people want to show. And yeah. I feel like we're starting to see more people at least talking about how much farming they do in their nightgown with mud boots on and their hair standing straight up. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, anybody who says they don't is lying or superhuman <laughs> because everybody <laughs> I know is like, <laughs> yeah, in their nightgown at two o'clock in the afternoon with barn boots on and a baby with a snotty nose, you know, like that's yeah. just how it is. So did you grow up in ag or what was your, how did you get started? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't. I am, I grew up in a flat in suburban Ohio, you know, three bedroom, one and a half bath, 
brick ranch houses, all of them look the same, you know, all the streets connect. So I didn't. The the most I ever had was the failed bunny that somebody got me as an Easter present. <laughs> we didn't even have dogs growing up. So like I said, as I got older, I mean, I was always kind of like a DIYer and like do it myself and, you know, really appreciated craftsmanship and, you know, going to farmer's markets and, and meeting and talking with people. But when it came to actually growing, it really wasn't until the last 10 years, right around the time that I had my daughter that I just, you know, I'm going to buy a tomato plant, you know, kind of deal. And I think that was when those topsy-turvy, you know, the the bags, things that the tomato plant things. Yeah, you can hang so, them up and they kind of yeah. drop down. And so, yeah. Yeah, I think that's what I, I saw one of those, like as seen on TV and bought it, you know, from the local big box store or whatever. So that kind of started it and it was just a little bit. But then after I met my husband, he's really an outdoorsman. You know, I, we've talked and really big into hunting and fishing and, you know, foraging and doing some things like that. So he helped introduce me to some other like gardening and, you know, like what it, what it really meant to have like a, a plot of land and, you know, use it to garden that way. So that was doing it myself. My, my grandfather, though, I would go and I'd spend time with him in the summer. He was a huge gardener. And so, I mean, I can remember bits and pieces of that from my childhood. So I think that that's where I also tended to romanticize what it, you know, really means. Because to me, it was just like, you know, grandpa brought in these beautiful muskmelon and you'd open it up and you could just smell it. And it was like the best thing ever, you know, to sit there and, you know, eat watermelon on the front porch or whatever that he had grown. But no, it's it's really only been... I'd say seriously about the last six or seven years. And then after the pandemic and being able to really get some extra time, I've been able to branch out and do more. Mm -hmm. Like you were talking about before, I think a lot of people get excited about starting and then don't, don't always think about those next steps. And we talked before the interview about you sharing some of your skills. And one thing you mentioned was talking about chicken integration and what to do with older chickens. I mean, I know I was one of those people who, when the pandemic happened, it's like, okay, well, it's a good time to experiment with some stuff. We got some chickens, but then not, not really thinking it through to what happens a year from now, two years from now, you know, like, am I going to keep doing this? So what are some of your tips on what to do with those, those chickens? Before we get into that, Shauna, how many chickens did you start with? I had no idea that chicken math was such a prevalent thing. I mean, I've had I've had chickens literally my whole life. So I did not realize how many people start with two chickens and then before they know it, they've got 300 and it's like a full-time business for the entire family. Oh my I, goodness. I thought I had made up chicken math and then I heard about that and I was like, wait, no, nobody knows it. And I have yeah. to say as I like to think that I am largely to blame for our mutual friend's descent into uh, <laughs> backyard homesteading madness. Hi, Jamie. Miss you. Yeah. Uh, Love you. <laughs> it is a fucking delight as a more real farmer to brainwash new people into it. I love wow. it. It is so cool to see someone develop that sense of capability and possibility mm -hmm. and just all the abilities towards 
doing it themselves and the amount of self-confidence that it develops to just know that you figure shit out. Yeah. Especially when you're not depending on it, like you're not actually going to starve to death. Yes. You know, it's a good time. Very real. Very, very real. All of that. Back to to the chicken integration. I did. I started off with three. (laughs) I started off with three and, and the box kit from TSC Coop. You know, thinking that that was going to do it. And before you knew it, <laughs> before you knew it, my husband was putting in T-posts and running fence line for me. And then we ended up converting an eight by eight shed <laughs> into the coop. And, but, you know, and then even, and I have to say this, because while it was a progression over two years to get to that point, even when I felt like I got my, you know, my big shed, we call, it started off, you know, as the she shed because I had, you know, the drapery and the you know, the Muslim curtains, you know, hanging and all the kitschy and mirrors and all that stuff in there. And then honestly, no one ever really talks about how much chicken shit. I mean, like, like really talks about it to people you know, because everybody's like, oh, you can't tell me they're going to, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be wonderful. I love chickens. What's the other thing newbies always say? Are there like, you know, it's almost like the same thing too when you're a mom and you want to tell moms like, get your rest now because once you have kids kind of thing and everybody's like, don't tell me that, you know, I know what I'm doing. Like when it comes to chickens, like, no, the fuck you don't. Like they are going to teach you a lesson, you know, and the lesson is they they poop over everything. Everything is a mess. Are legitimately the worst. Like yes. as someone who has had them, <laughs> I literally cannot remember a time in life that we did not have chickens. And I still routinely like the kids will leave the door open and there's hens in my fucking house. Yeah. Like, the first year of the pandemic, I was like, you know what? I'm going to plant some flowers in front of the coop. That'll look nice. That'll cheer me up. I spent like two days planting daffodil bulbs and like I fenced it off because I know they're fuckers, you know, so I fenced it off all nice. I go out the next day and they've ripped the fence down and then eaten all the daffodil bulbs. And I'm just like, chickens are why we don't have nice things. They they are. That is still worth. They really are. They're the worst. And I mean, I still find myself getting caught up. You know, I've got the chicknick tables out and, you know, the little picnic tables out in my chicken run and they've got a swing, you know, but all those curtains and drapery and all that other stuff, all that came out the coop. It is bare bones in there because really when it comes time to, I do the deep litter method. So when it comes time to scoop all of that stuff out and start over fresh, I, d- I don't want to do my own laundry. Like, what am I not doing chicken laundry? <laughs> I'm not doing chicken laundry. I, so more power to you. I mean, if that's your thing and if that's your, but it, to me, it's like, that's got to be your only thing. Because if I had, if I would have kept going down that path, I would have literally been able to do nothing else in life, but keep that coop camera ready (laughs) i i have to say that we have a number of neighbors who hunt our property because nobody in our family hunts and knowing that chickens are small dinosaurs and knowing that they are quite omnivorous and quite happily so we have a neighbor guy who brings his deer frames you know so the ribs Mm -hmm. and the spine and i hang them by a length of chain in my chicken coop during the winter and i'll tell you for boosting egg production keeping my hens happy during the winter that's right 
it's really gross. Mm-hmm. Um, once it freezes, it's okay. When it's still fresh, it's kind of, but they will strip it down to clean bones in a very yeah. small amount of time. And it's, See, yeah, because they'll come out the first couple of days, blood just matting their feathers down and strips. Oh, I'm just, but I'll tell you, having eggs all winter is worth it. And it's a real cheap protein boost. So I have to figure out how to make that work too. Yeah. So this part is the, the part that's really fun for me is to talk to other people who like don't think I'm crazy because most of my, you know, suburban mom friends are like, She's what is she doing? But I'm I'll take doing. the eggs, but I don't need to know. <laughs> I don't even and I want them washed too. You know? I had but, somebody at a farmer's market argue with me about that she normally got eggs that were marketed as free range pasture raised and vegetarian. Mm-hmm. And I said, mm-hmm. but chickens are omnivores. Like I believe that their feed is vegetarian, but chickens lead if they're free range, there's yeah, a- like there's no way that they're actually yeah. vegetarian and she got so upset i was like note to self don't argue with people that don't that yeah if they're not if they're free range i mean unless yeah. you're keeping them in an eight by you know <laughs> box yeah. no Our way birds to. are the best mousers on the farm so oh yes that that too well gosh we could have a whole conversation about that as well but you know that's different when the field gets cut behind us and everything and the mice start running in you know it's like you're doing everything you can and at some point you have to just like say this is part of my life now you know if we were living in town and everything was completely sealed but you know what old you know farmhouses are like it's like what part doesn't have a draft <laughs> over, you know, a, a welcome door to come on in so I do I think that that's another really real thing to explain to people when they're first starting out or they're making this big move like you the mice thing is it's real it is real real but what were we what were we talking about? Oh, we were going we were trying to talk about chicken integration and what to do with okay. the chicken. Sorry, Arlene, now you got two That's right. getting off track instead <laughs> of just me. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm like, I I didn't want to forget. That's fine. So we we did we the three that we started off with, I have just one left. So I know that we're getting to that point, but I've had some that I picked up that were older. What did we decide to do with them? We actually did decide to make chicken dog food with them. So I I personally can't eat chickens that I've named. And I, I do name them. Like we don't name the rabbits, but I named the chicken, the chickens. And so we'll process them, use them for dog food, you know, and, and other protein sources that way. I also have someone who's like, just has a ton of land and she kind of sees herself as a little bit of a rescue. So there's that possibility, but I know that that's not something for everyone, but it is, it's, it's a tough decision what to do. Are you going to keep feeding a chicken, especially when, if you got into it because, oh, hey, we wanted some free eggs, you know, quotation marks, heavy, heavy quotation marks on free eggs. You know, it, it is what do you do with them after they're older? But as I said, we're a family who's very, I don't know what the word is, but w- we understand the life cycle, you know what I mean, of animals. And even though we have pets and then we have working pets and then we just have, you know, livestock. So 
where they fall into that range is how we're going to, you know, figure out how to handle with how to handle when it comes to that point. So you mentioned rabbits. You didn't include that in where you're growing. Do you currently have rabbits? Oh, we don't this year. Well, I shouldn't say not yet. Last year, we put up 12 rabbits that we bred and raised ourselves. I consider them an excellent protein source, especially in an urban setting. If you wanted to try to do something for yourself, I mean, of course, not everyone has, you know, the room for other large livestock, but... To me, the combination of being able to have chickens and and rabbits really adds that next level as far as where we wanted to be in, in providing for our family. So last year, I picked a dual purpose rabbit, the silver fox. And so they've got a pretty nice size, meaty frame on them, but then they do have a really beautiful silver pelt. It can range in, from a, a light silver to a black with just a silver fleck. And the idea was that I would use some of that too in farm stand projects. I thought about maybe putting together some type of Christmas ornament or doing some small pillows or something along those lines for the farm stand. So we did that last year. But my husband said this year, if we decide to do it again, I need to be a part of the more part of the butchering process. So I've got to work up to that. So funny story about this. I, I'm going to try to condense it because I, I I could talk though again about this for like 10 minutes. But one of the first things I did with my husband, my oldest stepson, 4-H project, really into rabbit, but it was time to process his meat, his meat pen. So the this was my first experience with any of this. So they took care of, you know, euthanizing and then Bring him in. They would just bring me the rabbit, like either halved or quartered. And it was my job to get them ready for the vacuum sealer, you know, for the freezer. So the first thing that I didn't know that I didn't know was how warm real meat is during that time. You know, and I, you know what I mean? Like how warm the body temperature thing completely freaked me out the first time. Like I, was not ready for it. So I was able to get past that. And I just, I honestly just kept telling myself, it's chicken, it's chicken, you know, don't think about it. (laughs) like a rabbit that way, you know, but the difference between having fresh meat and then, you know, your cellophane packages at the grocery store, it, it is, it's a huge difference. So I'm getting them ready. I'm putting them in the vacuum seal. I'm doing my thing. And I really started getting into a rhythm. And I was like, I can do this. I have overcome my fear. Look at Shauna go, you know? (laughs) And then they brought one into me and I went to go grab it and the leg jumped. And I flung the knife up in the air. I freaked out. I screamed. There was blood on the the wall. Oh my god! And when I flung that knife straight back, I was not ready. So yeah, I now they have to. The last time they did it, they let them sit on ice for a little bit. <laughs> they gave you a few minutes so you so they were dodging knives. Yeah, but so he did this last year after we he finished processing. He said that if I was gonna you know, insist on doing this again, that I needed to be more of a part of it. So that's kind of my goal this year. 
I want to go to like a small workshop, like away from him so I can, you know, get through my stuff on my own and then I can come back and be like, oh, hey, look what I can do now. So that's something I I hope to take care of in the spring. And then maybe we'll do another one this year. We still have plenty of rabbit in the in the freezer, but I I love it. The girls love it. We I sub it in chicken recipes quite a bit. Their favorite is a fried rice with just diced rabbit. Did we ever actually talk about chicken integration or did we just get lost uh, this round as they uh, end up using them in, in a fresh dog food? Because we can always use it that way. It's also going to help me to, again, on the educational side, we'd like to do some meat birds. But again, my husband's like, you got to get more into it. If, you know, it's a lot of work that day and... You know, he's kind of like been there, done that. But if you want to do it, I'm really here for you. But I need you to get in there. You're not just watch me. So I want to be a part of that process. So we'll just end up putting them down and repurposing them into dog food. And then as I bring new chickens in, I do a side-by-side where if they're small enough, they're in a dog kennel and then allow the other chickens to be able to kind of see them, sell them, and then let them out for a little bit and kind of, you know, see how they interact. And then I also have a small frame chicken tractor that I can kind of segregate out my bullies and let them reset, you know, as far as the pecking order and the flock. I've got two Osterlorps that tend to go fruity and then, you know, they'll also become very aggressive at that time. But they're really great birds. Otherwise, I just sometimes I've got to pull them out for two or three days, let the let the rest of the flock reset, and then you know start bringing them back in, you know, one at a time. And then normally that cuts down, you know, on any you know issues within the coop. I will say I found that using what is it, blue coat wound spray? Is that what it's called, Arlene? That use on cattle and that probably it's a antibacterial wound spray that we use a lot, but it works really well on chickens to keep them from pecking each other once they start, yeah. because I know the the sight of blood tends to get them going to keep pecking, yeah. but because the blue covers up the blood, it does work really well. So that was a, oh, that was a surprise I found out about last year. And it was a, a literal lifesaver because having oh, them peck each other, yeah. you're first yeah. to carry it. I'll have to look for that. And I just want to say, Kudos to your husband for being supportive and to you for finding a supportive partner because it's really sad when you find one person who is super into it and you're married to someone who is not like cool if it's not your thing. But, you know, I know folks who are married to people who are like actively unsupportive and it's just. It is. It's tough. And I will say this. We've had, it has not always been very easy. You know, there's been lots of times where he felt like I jumped too far in the deep end and now he's like, I've got to bail you out kind of deal. But then we also, you know, I can always counteract with, hey, you know, we've got all these dogs and he travels quite a bit for, you know, work. So it's very much a give and take, you know, on our in our relationship. But the fact that he's got a separate hobby that I can say, this is his, how can I support him in ways that, you know, it, it, it's reciprocated. But the the rabbit thing, 
he was just like, you know what? I gave up my entire Saturday. I'm covered. I'm nasty. You know, <laughs> and like, and I know you really wanted to do this, but if we're going to do it again, you know, you've really got to be a part of the process because it started from, you know, a, a place where I was saying, I really want to find a lean, you know, a protein source that's sustainable for us. And, you know, I went on this mission. I started reading all, you know, these magazines and this literature and, you know, just jumped into it. And he was like, you know, we can do rabbits. It's not a big deal. We've got all the stuff. You know, his kids did, you know, showed 4-H rabbits for a long time. So he was like, you know, we can do it. But if this is why we're doing it and you want to, I, I really need you to be a part of the process. And I, I you know, I can respect that. I, I, I didn't want to hear it, you know. <laughs> I can respect it. Definitely. So with your household, sounds like you have a fair amount going on with the, you know, (laughs) jobs and five kids and dogs and the farm, whatever. How do you find any sort of balance with getting things done? Mm. And it's fine if you just want to laugh hysterically and then cry. (laughs) We'll understand. (laughs) Yeah, you're one of us. I, I get it. I tell, first, I'll say this. People always say, find your tribe, find your people that are going to support you. That was huge for me these last two years, whether it came from, you know, being locked down during pandemic and then afterwards when we were able to start spending time together again, really finding people that I knew would be able to support me made a huge difference in my life. So I've got an awesome neighbor who, you know, if I need help with the kids or I'm not going to be home to get somebody off the bus or whatever, like, I know I can call on her. I found a mom's group and within the Facebook community that, you know, I, I can go out with or vent with or go roller skating just to, you know, blow off some steam, you know, just something random. And then with my husband, it was really setting aside, you know, some dedicated time. You, as women, I think we always want something spontaneous, but, you know, just this, well, oh, we're so in love kind of deal. But sometimes it really is. You get Tuesday afternoon from three to five and you need to make the best of it. So the people in my life have really been able to help me find a little bit of a balance that no, most of the time I've got too many plates spinning in the air. I just hope that the one that falls is it, you know, the worst of it. And I really want to make sure that my kids are taken care of first. So I've learned to say no and when I need to and, and not to feel bad about it. But it definitely took me a while to get there. But like I said, my bathroom sometimes, I could wear shower shoes in my own bathroom. <laughs> We can't have it all together all at once, right? There's yeah. no way. <laughs> Dang, I never my bathroom. Sometimes I'm just like, what is going on? Or the laundry. You know, I do, I, I, I use Instacart a lot for, you know, our weekly items that we need for shopping. So that's given me back, you know, some parts of my life. Try to do some meal planning you know, prep where you can so it doesn't feel so overwhelming. Like, holy shit, it's six o'clock. What are we going to eat for dinner? And we've already had McDonald's two nights this week. Like, you know, you you pick your battles. But I really say if there was any advice that I could really give to 
other moms out there. It is find your people. Put yourself out there. Stop waiting for them to come to you. You know, like go out there and say, raise your hand. I need help and I'm willing to help you, you know, and and, and cultivate those relationships because they will mean so much to you in the coming days. So much. So that that's that that's that's about all I got. And if your bathrooms are dirty, honey, you got good company because I <laughs> here here yeah. I think it's so crucial too to normalize that struggling in life, mm-hmm. and that everybody struggles, and that's just how it is. You know, mm-hmm. and to just make it a normal thing. And speaking of clean bathrooms, you know, when people are like, "Oh, my bathroom's such a mess because there's you know a." a dust bunny behind the toilet or something. And I'm like, there's literally a lamb in my bathtub (laughs) clearly coming at this from different places. Like, you know, there's like a whole different level of ridiculous when you're farming. It's So I hear y'all talk about it that way, you know, like, oh, you guys love this modern farmhouse look, but let me tell you what it really looked like, you know? Like, I hear you guys coming at it like that. And I'm like, I get that, like, maybe at about 20 or 30 percent, because it's nothing for me to, like, open up my refrigerator and I've got, you know, cases of dog vaccines <laughs> in the door. You know what I mean? And and just different funny things like that. There's always leads and leashes and GPS trackers plugged in somewhere and every available outlet, you know, downstairs and when it's hunting season, you know, the, the guns are coming in and out of the house. And, you know, it's like, there's parts of that that I get. But when I talk to people who live on big farms, or this is, you know, a a main part of their life. And I go and I go and I see their homes or talk to them or, you know, they're like a mudroom. Like they got these cute hooks and the kids are hanging up their backpacks. Like that's not real life for us. Like we have two inches of mud in our mud. (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm impressed by those people, but I know we've had at least one discussion in the Facebook group. That's been like, my perfect house would be all concrete with a sprayer mounted on the ceiling. Like (laughs) that is my version of farmhouse. Rain on the floor. Like to hell with the the white walls and the, the pristine furniture. Like, yeah. Yeah, we bought a we bought a new fridge this spring, and like the first thing I said was, "Oh, look, it has a perfect shelf for vaccines." Like, yeah. <laughs> that's what's in my fridge. So, yeah, more power to the people who are not like us. Absolutely, please tell yeah. us how you do it. But yeah, I'm not wasting my time on it. No, no. Like my daughter's friends will come over and they'll be like, "What's that?" And you know, she's trying to explain, and they're just like, "Oh." <laughs> that's how we brainwash the next generation into it. so there's not that many kids being born into farming families we have to import them now so yeah rely on people like you yeah I, I, that's what I'm trying to do I'm trying to be a bridge I, to show that you don't necessarily have to be you know 100% all in but you can find ways and let's not lose you know, the experience, the education that that we have, you know, available to us. No, I don't need to can, you know, to to get us through the winter. 
you know, I would love to be able to get there, but it's not like we're 100% dependent on it. But I, I need to know how to can. I don't want to lose that. I don't, you know, what I want to be able to pass that along to, you know, my dog. That if it ever came down to it, this is how you do it. I think that's important because, I mean, we don't have to be all in all the time, right? And sometimes mm -hmm. that, you know, that perception of, well, if I'm growing tomatoes, I need to also make well, a thousand jars of fresh tomato sauce yeah. or, you know, like right now I don't have a garden and I'm okay with it. You know, like <laughs> we're doing other things and right now gardening is not a priority. And I have a sister-in-law who has a market garden. I can go buy vegetables from her or yeah. there's lots of healthy options at the grocery store. I can go buy those. And maybe in a few years I will want a garden again, but you don't have to do all the things, you know? Like, yeah. You don't have to be making your fresh yogurt and canning tomatoes and, yeah. you know, doing, doing it all because we don't live in a time where that's required of us. I mean, if you want to, that's fantastic. Go ahead. But, mm -hmm. but there shouldn't be that pressure on us to, to feel like you have to, <laughs> to, have to do everything. Oh, that's, that, that's definitely true. And I will say that that's more so from, from my perspective in the, homesteading community than the farming community, like especially within the last couple of years, you see people who want to do it and they feel like they have to do everything, you know, and no, you're not going to go from living in, you know, your, your HOA home to going off grid in two years and think that it, that's feasible. It's just not, you know. Unless you're going to burn yourself out. You're going to burn yourself out. We're not all on a reality TV show, you know? And even then, they're cutting and they're going to a trailer, you know? And have a Starbucks. It's not that I, I think that you need to find something that feels real and authentic to you and cultivate that. What can I handle? What do I really want that what's this going to be like with new gardeners, you know, they'll go out and they'll spend, you know, $200 in seeds, you know, like I'm going to have this and that and the other. And it's like you said, now you've got eight varieties of tomatoes, you know, three different cucumbers. You've got those beautiful little lemon cocoa cucumber thingamajiggers, but what are you really going to use those for? So that was part of the reason why I did the kitchen garden, because I want to have my mainstays for the family, the things that I know we're going to use and eat. And, and I want those items to be something we grew. And I'll throw in some fun things. But if you've never ate a turnip in your life, don't feel like you need to plant them because you will become resentful about having to water them and weed them. And then you're like, I did all that work and I got two turnips, you know? Or I realize I really don't like turnips and I just <laughs> gave them away to my neighbor. <laughs> Exactly. Buy them for, you know, and see how you're going to use them, make recipes with them. And, and then if you feel like growing them, grow to your heart's content. But, you know, you don't have to have, you know, all of your pretty little square garden rows, perfect, tended. It's it, if that's not who you really are, who you really want to be, don't feel like you need to be that person. Or even if that's not who you're going to be at the end of the season, right? <laughs> the person who bought the seeds is not always yes. the same person who has to harvest yes. them later. Yeah. Because we talked. <laughs> I, 
Oh, I was just going to say, we talked a little bit already about the next generation. Are your kids interested in any particular part of the homestead or are there things that they're really into or things that they're not so much into? Because I mean, that's the reality too. Sometimes our kids yeah. aren't always interested. So what is... What do they like about it or what, what, what's their involvement? The older boys are definitely hunting and fishing with my husband. So if they have a successful season, we're putting up stuff in the freezer together. Whether we're splitting, if we're, we go on vacations, we, we fish, you know, we'll, when we get home, we'll divide, you know, all the, the fish between the two households. So that part of feeding our family, that's how they're involved. My 10-year-old daughter, she wants nothing to do with it. She wants to take pictures for social media, and that's about it. You know, like put a basket in her hand, filled with beautiful kale, and but she's not going to eat it. Like, and she doesn't want to water it, harvest it, anything. But she is a natural with people. So when I'm at markets and with the farm stand and customers, She's right out front and center greeting people. She can speak and tell you where everything is. And she loves that part of it. So she's just sales. And that's what, you know, we've kind of told her. Well, that's important too. Sales and marketing director. (laughs) Absolutely. And then the little one, the four-year-old, she's very much into it. So she helps me plant. She's in the dirt all the time. The other day when we were harvesting carrots, we used her Tonka truck, her dump truck, to hold all the carrots as we kind of moved them around. She goes out and collects the eggs with me. You know, she has the garden hose and she's watering the out, putting water in the outdoor kennels. She's got a little John Deere gator tractor thing, power wheel that she rides all around the yard, you know, help move stuff. So she's, she's the one that's most into it. She may grow out of it. But for right now, if I say I'm going out in the yard, she is on my hip, muff boots on, and she's ready, you know, to get to work. So that's, that's really, I guess, where everybody has their place. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to come back to another episode about dealing with encouraging your kids to participate without forcing them, because I feel like that's an issue I see a lot, especially among homesteaders, is that folks take on too much and then stuff gets shoved off onto kids who never yeah. wanted to do it. And especially if the kids don't grow up that way, you know, it's yeah. uh, definitely. Anyway. If you do that, I, I, if you, I don't, yeah. even, I just got to say 10, 15 minutes. I, I, <laughs> I figured you'd have some thoughts on that because, yeah, it seems to be the folks who are going to go totally off grid in two years and then they're, you know, then they realize they can't get coffee anymore because it does not grow here. And then their kids are dealing with the 200 chickens and then all hell breaks loose real quick. Yeah. Uh, So I'm just going to go ahead and change this question to what things have you had to scale back or have failed along the way? And, you know, because we're all about failure. Yeah. Oh, easy to talk about success. Yeah, no, I'll, I, I've got a list in my head, you know, prioritize, you know, what I really want to try to work on for next growing season. But I really wanted to do more cut flowers this year. And again, I just need more research. That's not, you can't just dump a bunch of bulbs in the ground and think, oh, I'm going to have this beautiful, you know, field of flowers. That's really not how it works, especially if I, I wanted to do tulips and, you know, some other bulb variety flowers. And I spent money and I thought, you know, 
there, there's a really great flower farmer, you know, really famous one that's big right now. And she puts on some amazing workshops. And I thought after three weeks in a workshop, I was going to be a flower farmer and that is not the reality. So that that might be, you know, three or four years down the line before I get back to that. But I would love to be there. The size of my garden this year, I definitely scaled back. I did that on purpose because we've got fall sports. My daughter cheers. So what our family time looks like in spring is not the same once, you know, August and September hits. So I decided not to put out as much. I didn't put out the market garden in the full way that I did this year. I really just stuck to asparagus and some lacy greens, you know, things that I could keep in containers and that were already established. But I didn't do the full market garden the way that I would normally do. And then jams and jellies, that was a mainstay staple when the farm stand first opened. It was known for my jams and jellies. And then... We went through a shortage in Ohio of finding mason jars, lids, rings, you know, and then the cost of them went up so much. I was never going to get rich and I was never going to be able to pay my bills on jams and jellies. And I just couldn't see charging customers six and seven dollars for a jar, you know what I mean, to, to be able to make it profitable. So I cut back a lot of it. And now I do graze boxes and charcuterie boxes. So the jams that I make, I just make them in smaller quantities and I'll put them into the charcuterie boxes and do it that way instead of just trying to sell, you know, jams and jellies on their own. But I mean, part of that is, you know, things again that are out of your control. You know, mason jars, I we went through a time period, you just couldn't find them, you know? And then if you did find them, it was like a gazillion dollars. So, but the flower thing was probably, that was a tough one too, you know, between that and the container gardens, because I felt like last year, that's where my, I thought my priorities were going to be and planning and neither of them worked out the way that I thought they would. And, and really it was, I, I didn't spend enough time planning and preparing for it. Because again, water sourcing when growing is a big deal. And, and soil additives, so, you know, I think that a lot of people take that for granted too when they're getting into gardening, that you really need to pay attention to what type of soil that you're planting in and, and what you need to do to, to increase production. You know, people kind of laugh about it, but to know the difference between your sandy soil and your clay soil and you know, what is going to thrive in those environments. So yeah, next couple of years, I'll definitely be spending more time talking. And I don't know, I might even try to like go out and spend some time, not so much interning, but, you know, just get my hands-on experience from someone who's, who knows what they're talking about. It's, that's a big difference between reading something in a book or you know, 20 lines on an Instagram post, you know, you really got to get out there and get your hands dirty to learn it. Yeah. You should go back and if you haven't already listened to our episode with Karen from the Just Grow Something podcast, she is a gardener and market gardener, and she has a podcast just about growing things, vegetables Mm -hmm. and fruits and all that kind of stuff. And I think she even does some garden consulting. So she might be someone who you could 
you could listen into her podcast and because then there's like individual episodes about specific crops and, you know, soil health and all that kind of stuff. So a great resource for people who are looking for someone with lots of the gardening skills and she's done lots of training and that kind of stuff. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you for that. I, listen, I've learned two things today. I've got two tips to take away from. So there thank you. So think, you mentioned oh. before, sorry, that your family's into hunting and fishing and foraging. And these are things I know next to nothing about. So what kind of hunting are we talking about? Where's the, the best local fishing hole or <laughs> what? where are you yeah. fishing? And I guess, yeah, what are you foraging for? So, I mean, that's a big question, but <laughs> there's a whole bunch of yeah, I'll try to, I'll try to condense. They deer and turkey hunt. It really just depends on timing for them, who, what land they have available to them. My husband doesn't do like the full on week of deer camp anymore just because of the, he's more into the dogs, but my older stepson still does. So definitely deer and turkey. We do. I mean, of course, with the competitive you know, he does bring home squirrel. I've learned to cook with it. I'm not, it's not a huge deal to me. You know, it's not like, oh, we have to put it up. Most of the time he ends up using them as training aid, but we, we do. We've got deer and turkey and. I'm guessing squirrel would be a lot of work for very little protein. It is. <laughs> Just thinking it of is. the dimensions of that particular. It is. And it's one of those things too, where I, again, you're like telling yourself, like, I'm not eating squirrel. <laughs> It's fine. I can do this. It's good for me. Yeah. But then again, if you don't have to, like, don't worry about it. I have no plans to seek it out. Yeah. We're big fishing, though. So they do a lot of bass and crappie. All of our vacations revolve around water and being able to fish. So we go down to Alabama. We love Dolphin Island, Gulf Shores area down there and just spend a lot of time doing that. We bring home, you know, whatever we catch. So we've got some local fishing holes where they kind of go out. My older son actually fishes on one of those semi-pro bass tournament circuit. Too. So he's, you know, out there doing his thing too. And then foraging. So I think I sent you guys some pictures of what our family likes to call Swamp Day. And that kind of grew out of the his, mine, and ours. So, because we can't always celebrate all of us together on Father's Day. So the weekend before Father's Day, we go out and we spend the day fishing. And my husband takes us over to one of our local parks near where he grew up. And we forage crawdads and, you know, sand form. And then we come home and we cook everything as a low country boil style with corn and, you know, potatoes and sausage and so that's always a lot of fun that all the kids look forward to that every year and then we also always go out looking for ramps you know like the garlic ramp type we do that some shrooming what else I think that's probably about it I mean every once in a while we might see something else that you know we'll pick up and we'll bring home but those are probably the big ones that you know we try to make sure that we make time for every year Mm-hmm. What resources have you tapped to learn more about the foraging, especially, I guess, or was that something your husband was already pretty involved in? The resource just to marry somebody who already knows it? I mean, that, that, fair I, I, I did. I did. I married into it. The foraging part of it, I'm not sure if I would actually be into on my own. I mean, when I see it out there, I'm just like, oh, but I, 
my want, I more enjoy the walking in the wood than I necessarily do, you know, like seeking out of my brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there doesn't have to be a goal in mind. You could just yeah. go for a hike. Exactly. So just for that part of it, there's a couple of, of course, huge social media personalities. You know, they, they've got their own thing I, that I follow, you know, just to kind of see if I do see something, what am I going to do with it type of deal? So, you know, I might pick up a recipe for ramp butter. You know, that was a big deal. I started churning my own butter just so I could make <laughs> ramp butter. So, but the foraging thing, it's, it's okay. To me, my heart's probably more in gardening than that. So, Sean, and we ask all of our guests, if you were going to dominate a category at a county fair, real <laughs> or made up, what would it be? I love this question. I do, I do, I do. So, honestly, we have a joke in my family that it takes me forever to say goodbye. So, it would be a made-up category. I would 100% take home the blue ribbon for the Midwestern goodbye. <laughs> it's fabulous. 15 minutes to say goodbye to people. I have to tell you how much I enjoyed our time we spent. I have to compliment you. I'm asking after your mom. When did you get that? When did you get those curtains? I love your porch decorations. Give me another hug. Oh, this is so great. When are we getting together again? My husband just goes and sits in the car. I was just picturing your family sitting in the car (laughs) waiting. You got to have the time to pack up the food to send home with them in case they somehow like get lost and it takes an extra two weeks for them to get home. They're going to need that. So absolutely. I am awful with it. My husband always says it takes you five seconds to say hi because I'm I'm the queen of hey girl and just keep moving. Right. And he's like, it takes you 10 minutes to say goodbye. It's crazy. 10 minutes is pretty good. I don't know. I don't that's know what how they I feel start talking the horn. In the yeah. That, that's him when I'm with him because I know he's got zero patience for it. Like, he's like, are you sure you're ready to go? Like, do you want to start now? Like, just d- get your prelims out of the way and then, you know, I can go. Let me know. And the official goodbye. Yeah. He just starts hauling stuff out. Thanksgiving is awful. You know, he just, he does. He starts just picking up stuff, coat kids, taking them out to the car. And he's like giving me the whole, you know, tap on the wrist time thing. And yeah, I'm bad <laughs> about it. But 100% blue ribbon. That's my category. Nobody yeah, that, that sounds like a winner for sure. <laughs> All right. From that blue ribbon, we're going to move into our cussing and discussing segment. We've registered for an online platform called SpeakPipe, where you can leave your cussing and discussing, and we will play them on the show. Go So go to speakpipe.com backslash barnyard language and leave us a voice memo, or you can always send us an email at barnyardlanguage at gmail.com, and we can read it out for you. Katie, what are we cussing and discussing this week? What have you got? What I put here in the notes was California, not as terrible as we thought. Oh, were you prepared for it to be terrible? I feel bad for our California guests. Well... I will say in the Midwest, we tend to have real bias against coastal city people. And <laughs> I have now been to California twice in the last less than six months, which is the first yeah, time I've been out there in 20 some years. I know, right? Everybody was super friendly. The traffic was got awful. I don't know how people deal with that, but oop, <laughs> whatever. Everyone was super friendly. The food actually was not any more expensive than it is at home. The weather, at least in LA last two weeks ago, was fantastic. 
so yeah, California, my apologies. You don't suck as bad as we all think you do. <laughs> Maybe you do, but the parts I saw were pretty nice. So from your from your short short exposure. Yeah. Yeah. It was almost two weeks total. So Shauna, what do you have to cuss and discuss? Oh gosh. I don't know if I have anything good. Now I'm trying to think. Oh, I tell you what, I, can we talk about school drop-off lines just for a bit? <laughs> Go for it. So I, I do want to say I recognize that it's getting better. I mean, we are probably about seven weeks into school right now. So hopefully everybody's kind of like getting their morning routines going again. But still, like, you know, you're not supposed to park there, right? Like, we all know we're adults, we're grownups. We keep getting the emails telling us <laughs> not to park there. Not to park there, you know? We, you're getting your kid out the car, you're having 10 and 15 minute conversations. That's the one time I really do not take forever to say goodbye. But I, I do, I, with the kids out there doing safety patrol now, I really just want to say, Pay attention to what you're doing, number one, and where you're driving. But keep the line moving. You know what the assignment is. Stick to it. We all have other places to go from here. <laughs> I must say, I'm very glad that my kids take the bus because I just have to get them on it. <laughs> and then they come off on their own. <laughs> but the few times that I do have to go to the school, it is definitely a pain. So Katie, my cussing and discussing this week is that moment. And I know you all know it as a parent where you think you found the magic food that everyone likes mm. and then you buy a bunch of it, whether it's in your Instacart or you go in person and you're like, this is the food I can buy it. I can stock up on it. Everyone likes it. It's going to go in their lunches and it will disappear. And next year, next week, I will buy more of it. No, then they decide they don't want it anymore. It comes home. Some of the food is going on a field trip. Like it goes, it goes to school and comes back in the bag. Yeah. I hate that. <laughs> I've started Cause... just donating it all to the preschool because, <laughs> and yeah. they'll eat it there. That's the part that gets me. They will eat it there. No, see mine goes on. It goes to, goes in the lunch bag in the container that it went in yeah. and then it returns to me. Oh no. If, if I send it with them, they won't eat it. But if it's already oh. <laughs> at school and it's handed uh, to the perspective, they'll totally someone else were to hand it to them. Got it. it. Yeah. 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 It's always yeah. better for somebody else because mom said that I had to eat this and I don't want it yeah. anymore. Yeah. My strategy is I end up beating it and then I get sick of it too. But <laughs> those things happen. So yeah. thank you so much for joining us today. If people want to see your adorable farm stand where can they find you online i think you're back on instagram again is that correct i am i am i'm back on instagram so you can find me uh feathered farm stand on instagram and facebook i am definitely you can really see some behind the scenes on the facebook side that's really where i share lots of personal stories and recipe ideas you get to see pictures of me and the kids in the yard and you know the garden and all that good stuff instagram is probably a little bit more market ready as far as social media is concerned but i would love 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 to chat with you guys all more i appreciate the opportunity just to be able to learn from you all and to share just some of my personal experience so thanks again yeah, thank you yep. so much for joining us. And this is also a reminder to our listeners to come and join our private Facebook page because we hang out in there too. So if you want to talk to any of us, that's where you come hang out. 
Anyway, no, thank you for joining us, Shauna. This has been great. You are so, so welcome again. Anytime, anytime. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today on Barnyard Language. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to support us by becoming a patron. Go to www.patreon.com backslash Barnyard Language to make a small monthly donation to help cover the costs of making the show. Please rate and review the podcast and follow the show so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language, and on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. If you'd like to connect with other farming families, you can join our private Barnyard Language Facebook group. We're always in search of future guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to chat with us, get in touch. We are a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network.